The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. Today on the program, we're going to visit with Dr. William H. Andrews of Sierra Sciences with an unsponsored, not paid for segment discussing his research and successes in curing the disease of aging, leading to potential immortality. Are we just over one year away from this? Listen and learn as I revisit with Dr. Andrews exactly five years to the day that our last interview on this program was conducted. I'll also chat with Dr. Brad Thompson of sponsor Oncolytics Biotech. Training is ONCY, discussing a potential cancer cure. And I'll chat with Kenneth Eford of Noblest Health. Training is HLTH. Let's begin the program. Today I'm speaking with Dr. William H. Andrews, President and CEO of Sierra Sciences. Dr. Andrews has worked in the biotech industry for 28 years, focusing the last 15 years on finding ways to extend human lifespan through the intervention of telomere shortening in human cells. Dr. Andrews earned his Ph.D. in molecular and population genetics at the University of Georgia in 1981. He was a senior scientist at Armos Corporation and Codon Corporation, director of molecular biology at Codon and at Geron Corporation, and director of technology development at EOS Biosciences. While director of molecular biology at Geron Corporation, from 1992 to 1997, Dr. Andrews was one of the principal discoverers of both the RNA and protein components of human telomerase and was awarded second place as National Inventor of the Year in 1997 for this work. He is presently a named inventor on 35 U.S.-issued telomerase patents. Dr. Andrews is an avid runner and enjoys participating in ultramarathons in his spare time. His ultimate goal is to run a seven-minute mile at the age of 130. I last spoke with Dr. Andrews exactly five years ago to the day that this interview was recorded. It was a coincidence that he and I were getting together on this five-year anniversary to update our audience. Bill, welcome back to the program. It's been about five years to the day, I understand, that we conducted our first series of interviews together. How amazing is that? Five years has been a long time. A lot's happened, so I'm looking forward to discussing it. Certainly. Most of our audience, perhaps, well, probably is, is not familiar with the type of research and technology we're going to discuss today. So let me ask you this question. What led you specifically into anti-aging research? I love living. I've been interested in it ever since I learned that I will grow old and die someday. It actually is quite easy for me to remember exactly what happened. I was very interested in science and medicine when I was a kid. And when I was 10 years old, my father came up to me and said, Bill, since you're so interested in science and medicine, when you grow up, why don't you find a cure for aging? Become a doctor and find a cure for aging. 
He used that exact term, cure for aging. He then said, I don't know why nobody's done this yet. So I thought, okay, this must be fairly easy to do. Nobody else wants to do it, so I'll go ahead and do it. And I've been obsessed with that ever since. You led the research into discovering the human telomerase. I pronounce it differently than you do, but there is no official correct pronunciation, so every pronunciation is correct. In order to discuss it, i got to first start off with describing what a telomere is. Telomeres are things found at the very tips of your chromosomes. And it's been known since the 1970s that they get shorter as you age. And that was true for every cell of your body except for your reproductive cells. Now, the reproductive cells, and and it was important that our reproductive cells didn't have them get shorter because if they got shorter and shorter and shorter like the rest of our cells do, then our children would be born with shorter telomeres than we have. Their children would be born with shorter telomeres than they have, and we would have been wiped out as a species for lack of any DNA left by the time we were into maybe two or three generations. So it's important that the telomeres don't get shorter in our reproductive cells. Think about, let me say, the chromosome is like a shoelace, a very long shoelace, and our genes are organized along the shoelace. And at the very tips of your shoelaces are these caps, and these caps actually protect your shoelaces. When they get old, and they shorten, and then they flay, and then the shoelace starts to fall apart. But telomeres on our chromosomes are exactly identical to uh, the caps on our shoelaces. When they get short, our chromosomes start falling apart, And that results in every disease you've ever imagined, cancer, heart disease, everything else, common cold, and ultimately in aging. So these telomeres have been measured, show that they do shorten at a very consistent rate of about 100 bases per year. DNA is measured in units called bases, and telomeres are about 15,000 bases when we're first conceived. And it's been shown many, many times all over the world in many, many scientifically peer-reviewed journal articles that when telomeres get down to 5,000 bases, it triggers something that causes the cell to stop functioning properly, the chromosomes start falling apart, and that's when we die of old age. So it's doing the math, it says that if you have the perfect genetics and lead the perfect lifestyle, you can only live 125 years. That's the maximum a human can live is 125 years because of this telomere shortage. So no matter what else you do, all your antioxidants, all your anti-inflammatories, all your Nerf 2 things, everything you can do, nothing is going to allow you to live beyond 125 years. And when I say live beyond 125 years, I mean live healthy beyond 125 years. Without telomeres, you can't live beyond 125 years healthy or unhealthy. But if we can keep telomeres from getting short, I think we can live beyond 125 years and be as healthy as a 24-year-old. The secret to how to proceed in this thing came from the observation, as I said, that our reproductive cells don't have the telomere shortening. So in the early to mid-1990s, I worked with a team of scientists. I led the research at Geron Corporation, where we looked at to find out why they weren't shortening there, and we discovered an enzyme called telomerase. We also learned a lot about why telomeres shorten, and it turned out they don't shorten because or at least the main reason they don't shorten is because of something chewing them away. They shorten because of the lack of the ability of the cell to duplicate the very end of the chromosome every time the cell duplicates everything inside of it before cell division. When a cell wants to divide, it needs to duplicate everything so that when the cell divides, the two new daughter cells have everything that the parent cell had. Telomeres, the very tips of the chromosomes, don't get duplicated. As a result, the new chromosome is shorter. I know it's complicated, but let me interject right now. There is a movie out right now that explains explains this very clearly. I'm the star of the movie, and it's called The Immortalist, and if people want to watch it, just go to www.theimmortalist, plural, dot com slash 
Watch, W-A-T-C-H. It almost won an Oscar, believe it or not, and it was featured as one of the top three films on Netflix for the first two to three weeks after it was launched. So it's actually pretty good, entertaining and stuff like that, but I go into great detail explaining it very, very well. We ended up discovering, so my team discovered this enzyme called telomerase that's produced in our reproductive cells that every time the cell duplicates and the new chromosome that it has to make is a little bit shorter, the telomerase enzyme comes in and lengthens that telomere. I think of it like a bricklayer making a new row of bricks on top of a brick wall. He's standing on top of the wall, and when he reaches the end of the wall, he falls off because he, he can't put a brick in the last place he's standing. He falls off so that new row of bricks is shorter. I describe telomerase as an angel that flies in and puts that last brick in place. So we discovered this enzyme. We put it into other cells, and lo and behold, we found out that not only did we stop their telomere shortening, we actually made the telomeres much longer. And not only did we stop their aging process, by every method of measurement, we had reversed their aging. We had all the different biomarkers detected in old cells turned out to be reversed. This was later proven on human cells human skin grown on the back of a mouse. And then Dr. Rhonda Pinnell at Harvard did some studies where he did this with whole mice. He engineered these mice so he could have all the cells of the mouse produce telomerase or not produce telomerase at his becking. He let these mice get really old because of telomere shortening, and he lengthened it. Then he turned this gene on to allow telomeres to be produced in all the cells. The telomeres got significantly longer. It was 33% longer, so you could easily measure the increase in length. But the mice got younger in every way imaginable. They were even suffering from dementia, and the dementia disappeared. They could reproduce again. Their hair, everything came back. So this is really exciting. The, the problem with the study, though, was that in order to do it, he had to engineer the mice using gene therapy techniques. So you could only do it on mice that hadn't been born yet. You would take a single cell of a mouse, engineer it so it could turn telomerase on and off at will, and then grow that single cell into a whole mouse. So we could do that with humans right now if we were to clone a human. Cloning is unethical, and I don't think anybody is going to do it, and if anybody has, they're not going to admit it. But it would be fairly simple to do that same experiment in humans right now so that when the human got to be older, they could eat some substance that they normally don't have in their diet that would trigger this telomerase gene to turn on and make their telomeres longer. Now, that's good for all those cloned people that haven't been born yet, but it's not going to do you and me any good. So what my company is doing is we are looking for ways of causing the gene that we already have in all of our cells. It's just turned off. And I can spend an hour explaining why that is, and it's all evolutionary. We're looking for a drug or a natural product that will get inside of all the cells of the body, or at least maybe some of them. Maybe that's all that's important, but would then induce this gene to turn on. Genes are turned on and off just like lights in a room are turned on and off by light switches. There's a switch at every gene. There's some protein that's actually causing that switch to be turned off. We're just going to look for a drug that actually dislodges that protein to allow the switch to turn back on again. That would produce telomerase in all of our cells, lengthen our telomeres, and then we'd become younger just like these mice did. People that I've talked to, developmental biologists and stuff like that, estimate that if we could lengthen the telomeres, we could go back to being an age equivalent to about 24 years old. The reason why they picked 24 is because that's the year that most averages in studies and stuff like that say that we quit developing. We're born as a baby and then we grow up. That's all development into adults. And by 24, we've reached 
our development endpoint. And then from then on, all we do is age. So since we're only reversing aging and not development, we would be possibly turning people back to being 24 years old again. Now, that's what we're trying to do. And, you know, it's not just aging. It's every health-related issue you've ever heard of. Arthritis, cancer. Cancer. I bet you can't name anything that that hasn't been now published in scientifically peer-reviewed journal articles showing that the telomeres affect every disease we've ever had, and we can reverse declining health in every way by lengthening telomeres. That's what the data suggests right now. Of course, we won't know until we actually develop a way to lengthen telomeres in humans and show it. My big mission is to have Betty White walk out on stage and look 25 years old again. I haven't discussed it with her yet, but when we get something, I'm going to be approaching her. I think we can have something that can do that within a year with the appropriate amount of funding. We've been doing this since 1999, and when we can extrapolate from our progress at developing stronger and stronger ways of producing telomerase inside of our cells, we knew in 2008 that we were one year away from having something that would be potent enough to actually reverse aging. We have things right now that will slow down the aging process, but we don't have anything that will actually reverse the aging. They've been getting stronger and stronger over the years, but global financial crisis of 2008 hit, so that's been putting us at a hold standstill so far. And I just couldn't wait. And so instead of looking for investors, I just started looking for other ways to make money, to get our company profitable, to earn our own revenue. And so that's one of the reasons we signed this deal with Isagenix to create product B. And since the last time I've talked to you, we've also signed a deal. Actually, about the same time when we talked to you, but we had just signed a deal. That's for a pharmaceutical drug that is a lot, lot stronger than anything else on the planet. It's now in a skin cream being marketed out of New Zealand. They did clinical studies, and clinical studies came back really positive, very efficacious, actual signs of age reversal in human skin, and it was very safe. That got launched in New Zealand and Australia a little less than a year ago, and it just got launched in Japan and South Korea and China last week. So I'm expecting that to be bringing us the royalties that we need to actually get our research back in gear. How can skin cream, per se, reverse the aging process, or does that simply apply to skin? Only applies to skin. That's the why the company that licensed it from us wanted to pursue that, because they can get that on the market quicker. Is there a product on the market today that can not guarantee necessarily, but making a claim to assist in reversing the aging process? Is that a fair question? The aging process is, is complicated. So there are some things that are actually showing in clinical studies to actually show age reversal in some ways, but not always. We believe that to reverse aging completely, we need to lengthen all the telomeres in the cells. But when we lengthen some of the telomeres, particularly the shortest telomeres, without lengthening the longest telomeres, we still see some signs of age reversal but not completely. These are published in peer-reviewed scientific journals and things like that. Most notably have been skin-related things. For instance, age spots disappearing on hands, wrinkles getting fewer, hair color coming back, vision getting better, which actually is in the skin, but it's still, people aren't really looking at the internal organs as much. We're seeing improved immune system functions, but we're not seeing a 60-year-old become a 25-year-old. I think in order to do that, we actually have to lengthen all the telomeres. Everybody's got to ask the question, why do telomeres have anything to do with aging at all? They're just like caps on your shoelaces. Well, think of your shoelace as having genes, switches, all along the shoelace, on-off switches. Affect your hair color, your eye color, your immune system, your height, everything like that. Well, now think of the telomere now as something that folds over and clicks on those switches to turn them off or on. 
And when the telomeres get shorter, it can't reach all those genes, but it can still reach some of them. So we're seeing some age reversal effects, but we're not seeing 100% of the age reversal effects. But yeah, there are products on the market. There's skin creams and there's supplements. There's both natural products and pharmaceuticals on the market now that would do this. Pretty much all of them, except for one, have been invented here. <laughs> at Sierra Sciences. And then there's also a lot of products out there that claim they do, but when we've tested them here at our labs, they actually don't. But most of them that even make the claim and don't work, they do at least decrease the rate of their shortening because they have other things that don't induce telomerase, but they do provide the cell with things that have been shown to reverse something that what I call accelerated telomere shortening. When I first described telomere shortening, I said it's not chewed away in most cases, but there is also chewing away occurring by free radicals and inflammation actually causes telomeres to get shorter. And so antioxidants and anti-inflammatories actually do decrease the rate of accelerated telomere shortening. So any product that has antioxidants in it or anti-inflammatories will do that. And the, the best examples that have been documented in scientifically peer-reviewed journal articles are vitamin D, omega-3 fatty acids, and then several different antioxidants, including glutathione, N-acetylcysteine, superoxide dismutase, all the common ones, alpha-lipoic acid, which is one of my favorites. All these things have been shown to decrease the rate of telomere shortening in studies. So that's what exists on the market now. We just want something better, a lot, lot better. And you made a claim, I believe, just a few minutes ago that you've been a year away from having that technology available since 2008 and funding's an issue. So if you were funded, you strongly believe that we can immediately begin to take people like myself, for instance, who are 60 years old and assist in giving us back what we had when we were 24? Yes. Let me qualify that to say that we'll have that drug in one year after we get the funding that's needed. But in the United States, at least, we would have to first do preclinical studies with that drug, do it on animals. And we were already targeting some animals for studies. And then after the preclinicals are done, then we have to go through clinical studies with the FDA. The drug might not actually be available in the United States for 10 years after we develop it. But the drug would be available in one year. Things The world's getting a lot smaller, though. A lot of companies now are not necessarily just going to the FDA. For instance, as I mentioned earlier, we licensed our strongest drug to date to a company in New Zealand. They turned it into a skin cream, got approval from the Australian TGA, which is equivalent to the FDA in the United States, and also the Korean FDA. So it got approval in both efficacy and safety, and that's on the market now. So even if we develop something, and even if the FDA prevents us from putting it on the market, FDA, by the way, they don't believe aging is a disease. They're not really fond of us coming up with products to do this, but I'm really excited about is that they did just approve a study for aging to extend lifespan and health span using metformin, a drug that I think is really exciting. If anybody listening right now is not on metformin right now, either it's because you've noticed that you're one of those very, very extremely small few that have a undesirable side effect from it, or you haven't heard about it. But metformin is a drug that's been around for a while. I've been taking it for eight years now, a gram a day, and I'm actually 97 years old. I know I don't look anything older than 60 or something like that. I turned 64 in four days from now. Metformin is was originally prescribed for diabetics, and then because in all cases of prescribed drugs, doctors document. They follow up on patients and stuff like that, and that's why we know if they work and don't work for real. 
And doctors started noticing that their diabetic patients on metformin were having a lower incidence of cancer and other diseases than people that, than their diabetics that weren't on metformin. And so further studies were done and it was found that the incidence of cancer in diabetics taking metformin is not only lower than diabetics not taking metformin, it's lower than non-diabetics that aren't taking metformin. So metformin, I call the wonder drug. I've been touting it for eight years, as I said, and very few friends of mine are, are taking it. But now it's getting big news because of the fact the FDA just approved a clinical study to actually look at extension of lifespan because that's the other side effect of metformin. These diabetics that were on metformin looked younger than the diabetics their same age <laughs> and also the non-diabetics that were their same age that weren't taking metformin. You're not a diabetic, right? No, I'm not. I'm far from it. Yeah. Now, I've been looking at you during the course of this interview. Uh, our audience can't see it, but you and I are, are video Skyping, and I can't help but notice that you've got incredible skin and fullness in the face. I would say early 40s, early to mid 40s for a 64-year-old man, and you're doing 100-mile races, marathons. How much are you attributing that to the drug that you're taking right now? I take a lot of drugs, so metformin, antioxidants, omega-3s, vitamin D, I'm a big fan of the Isogenics products that contain all these different ingredients. So instead of taking all the single bottles, I just take the packets that they have in something called Ageless Essentials. It also contains product B. But I take all that. I, I'm a big believer that everybody should be on probiotics and vitamin D, metformin, like I mentioned several times so far. But I take a whole host of different things. It's also, I think, my exercise. I think that's also important. Reducing stress is, I think, important. Being very optimistic. If you don't think you're going to live to be 100, you're right. you got to believe you're going to live to be 100, and that's going to really make a difference. But don't smoke. Obesity and smoking are one of the to two of the best things you can do to accelerate your aging. Now, if people really are ambitious and are resourceful and stuff like that, the main television station in South Korea just did a one-hour documentary on me that aired in, in prime time. And I have an identical twin brother. When we look at pictures of ourselves 15 years ago or 20 years ago, we can't tell each other apart. We're that identical. And we've had our genomes analyzed through 23andMe and They've confirmed that we are 100% identical twins. He has been showing a lot of aging more than me, and he doesn't do all the lifestyle stuff that I do and take all the different medications that I do. But South Korea, this it's called M, M is a Mary, MBC, did this one-hour documentary, and they went to his home and interviewed him too. So if people want to see how everything I do for myself is actually slowing down the aging process and benefiting me, they should go find that documentary. You can Google it, I'm sure, and find it. And it's mostly in English, a lot of Korean too, but the important parts are in English because I can't speak Korean and my brother couldn't speak Korean, so we're, we're speaking in English. Now. You established that you're underfunded, and with proper funding, within a year, or let's just say a year plus, the drug is available, and it can be tested, I'm assuming, in, on humans in some countries outside of the U.S., correct? Yes. Great, yes. fantastic. I want to go to one of those countries and do a clinical study. Having said that, how much money are we talking about here? Our burn rate before 2008 was about a million dollars a month, and we think it's going to be about that same again. We had... Very, very enthusiastic investors at the time that really believed in what we're doing. They actually sat in all of our strategy meetings. They met with me one-on-one -on -one once a week 
every Tuesday. And they just wrote the check. They paid all the bills every month. They paid all the salaries. We own all the equipment in my building. We have 10,000 square feet of lab space here with top-notch equipment. We have it all. That's because these investors purchased it all. It's not leased or rented or anything like that. So we're a completely functioning lab. We just can't afford the reagents that need to be spent to do this, and we can't afford to pay for the employees right now. But these investors, they went through bad times when the global financial crisis hit. During the time when they were investing, we had a scale from zero to 100, where if we had a drug and we added it to human cells and it induced telomerase, we could give it a score of zero to 100, where zero would be it produced no telomerase, where 100 was it produced enough telomerase to stop telomer shortening. So higher than 100 would make telomeres longer and would actually reverse aging. Lower than 100 would slow down the rate of the telomer shortening and therefore slow down the aging process. Well, you know, we started off with low scores of the, like, 0 0.01, 0 0.0, 0 0.1, 0.2, point, you know, things like that. And we worked our way up. We kept doing more and more work. We did combinations of medicinal chemistry and random drug screening, just looking for things. We have two very sophisticated, high-throughput robots here that can test 4,000 different chemicals a day on human cells in a petri dish. We have a very proprietary assay that still nobody has been able to reproduce, and we keep it very top secret. We can test 4,000 different chemicals a day for the ability of drugs to induce telomerase. So after a certain while, we got up to two, and then we got up to four, and then we got to five and six, and then we got up to 15, or actually we got to 16. We have five molecules that tie at 16. That's when my investors came to me and said, sorry, we don't have any more funding. So we kind of been at a standstill, but that the ones that's fractionally better than the other four at score of 16, that's the one that's in a skin cream in New Zealand. They modified it even further. We call that drug C0314818 because that was our 314th thousands, 818th chemical we tested. They modified it further and called it TAM-818. They didn't increase its potency, but they increased its safe lot. It wasn't toxic at all, even really in our hands. We did see that it decreased the rate of cell growth. They had their medicinal chemists work on it further. Our contract still said that we still get the royalties if they make any modifications of it, but that's what's in the skin cream right now. But that's still only a score of 16. And it is showing in clinical studies, there was a company in Italy that routinely does clinical studies for cosmetic type products. They did the study and showed age reversal and complete safety. Not a single subject in the study had any adverse side effects. But it's still a score of 16, and I think we can go better, and I'm hoping that the royalties from us eventually will get us the royalties we need. So we need to get back to a million dollars a month. For about a year. For about a year. 12 to $15 million, let's say, right? Yeah. We were looking for $40 million to cover about three years' worth of work because we wanted to do the preclinical studies in addition to a lot of basic research and mechanism of action studies. But $12 million would get us there. And actually, I believe wholeheartedly that thin cream that we've got going would bring in that kind of money within about six months. So right now, I think we could get back in gear again if we could just raise $5 million. Just get $5 million to allow us to get the research started now, wait another six months, and start then. That's where we are right now. But I truly believe that because of the skin cream being probably generating us the royalties we need within six months, I believe that a year after that, so a year and a half from now, at the latest, we will have something that's ready for testing in humans. And then i, I got to tell you, there's something even more exciting going on, and that's the gene therapy approaches. So I've been talking about a small molecule drug, and believe me, 
when Betty White walks out on stage and looks 24 years old again, we won't have to do any marketing at all. Okay, and 99% of drugs that are overpriced and stuff like that are priced because all the marketing, distribution, bottling, all that kind of stuff, paying the doctors their share when they prescribe it, that causes drugs to go up really high in price. But I believe, since I'm 100% owner of my company right now, I kind of want to stay close to that, or at least stay majority owner. I'm going to make certain that we never, ever get into a situation where we're overpricing a drug. And so I think that's going to be available. When, when it comes out, I think it's going to be cheap. But there is a gene therapy approach that we've kind of developed, and others are working on it too right now that works really well. When I said, whenever I talked about that scale from 0 to 100, this gene therapy approach we have scores 3,000. So it really significantly lengthens telomeres in human cells and petri dish. It reverses aging in every way. The problem is that to make it, enough of it to inject one human costs us, not the patient, cost us $700,000 to make. So that's why it's available pretty much now if somebody wants to go ahead and do that. Of course, it does not have FDA approval yet, but there are similar gene therapy approaches in clinical studies right now. There's something like 200 or 179 last I counted. Certainly there's some deep pockets out there that might be interested in participating in something like that if they could also participate in the study either in Italy or New Zealand or wherever else that they're able to do so, right? Of course, I'm just focusing on the science. My company is not going to get into the distribution and stuff like that, so we'd first have to find some company that would be interested in marketing this virus. I mean, I have talked to companies already that said that they know hundreds of people that would pay up to $2 million in injection for treatment. If that's true, then hopefully they'll come along and say, you know, we're ready to market it, but they haven't yet. And so if anybody else out there that's interested in pursuing this, I would just need somebody that wants to license it from us and then with my help, turn it into a product. I look at it right now, a great proof of principle that even though it's super, super expensive, there would be some people that would try it. We actually did reverse their aging as I strongly believe we will. Then it would prove that the small molecule research that we're doing is plenty worthwhile we wouldn't have any problems getting funding for that then. They'll come along a year and a half later, maybe. Wow. This news is better than what I expected before I did this interview. A lot's happened in five years. So uh, five years out, where do you see the company? Where do you see uh, the research? Where do you see Sierra Sciences? Well, I'm just obsessed with health. I believe in five years we will have that drug that cures aging, and my company would be generating all kinds of royalties from that, and I'd be wanting to apply that to every health-related issue we can. I'd like to build a large, large research institute focused just on testing, but I, I would want it to be a little different from all the other institutions that are out there right now, that heart associations, cancer associations, that people are investing a lot of money in, because only a very small fraction of any money that they donate actually goes to research. And it's not managed well. When I look at these organizations, and when I look at, you know, I don't want to mention some names of some of these billionaires, they have these big foundations and stuff like that. They're terribly mismanaged. They don't know enough about what's going on in research. You know, I know people, scientists, that have potential cures for things that have often been said to be incurable, but they can't get funding. I'll cite one example in particular, Dr. Dipnarine Maharaj, a doctor in South Florida. He is the, one of the leading cancer doctors in the world. He's also stem cells. He's got some brilliant, brilliant ideas that I am just really excited about, and he can't get funding. This is where my money would go. I would be developing some type of institution where we were funding research that really made a difference and we would have the scientific know-how to be able to 
weed out who's doing the right stuff and who's doing the wrong stuff. So it doesn't matter if it's non-profit or for-profit, you'd like to be involved with something like that or you plan on it within the next five years. Yeah, I don't care if it's profit or no profit at all. I just want to cite one example. I remember when I was in graduate school and we were doing research on a single cellular plant called Euglena gracilis, and it had nothing to do with cancer. All we wanted to do was study. That's what the professor in my lab wanted to do. He wanted to just study this organism just as a pet project. He couldn't get funding, so he rewrote his grant applications to throw the word cancer in there, and suddenly he got all the funding he needed from cancer organizations that had taken money that people had donated for cancer research and then mismanaged it and, and gave him a ton of money. I got my research done, but I was always feeling like guilty of the fact that we were spending money. The donors were actually thinking it was going to be spent on cancer. And this is a big problem today. Even. Money's just being mismanaged. People aren't aware of the thing. I know people that, for instance, Boston University, Ula Hansen, she's got the cure for AIDS. It's like she's discovered a protein called LSF that actually is the protein that keeps us from never being able to cure AIDS right now because the virus can hide itself. The protein that causes it to hide is called LSF. She's got a program right now to try to find ways to circumvent that LSF protein. And the same is true for herpes. People say all the time, you can't cure herpes. But there's a protein called LAT1, L-A-T-1. They can circumvent that protein. That's the protein that helps the herpes virus. There's drugs that people who have herpes would take to keep the virus from reinfecting. If they get an outbreak, they can take it. I forget what it's called. But if they took that drug along with this drug that would inhibit this protein called LAT1, that would kill every virus. There wouldn't be any virus left after they did that. They can't get funding. It's just nonsense. Nobody is paying attention to the small research labs that have ideas. They're looking at the large pharmaceutical companies that already have a lot of money behind them that have come up with some way that might extend lifespan one week, and they're putting trillions of dollars into that kind of research. The question coming back, what I want to do in five years is I want to be involved. I want to have a scientific staff of reviewers and stuff like that. I want to be putting funding into all the things that will work. If I had the money right now, I'd be investing into those things that I've already told you about. Dipnarine, Maharaj, Ula Hansen, and the people working on the herpes virus and a host of other things. I'm also going to think to myself, I've got maybe hundreds of more years to live. Hundreds of years. Right now, all I can say is that I'm pretty sure we'll exceed 125. And even if we only get to 150, that gives me 25 more years to figure out how to solve the next thing that does us in. If we can take Betty White, who's, uh, I believe, over 90, and, and make her 24 again, I'm sure she wouldn't have a problem with that, number one. And number two, how long can she live? We don't know. You know, Betty White actually was a really good friend of my father, so I do have good contact with her. My father was a television producer. He just passed away recently. And one of my missions, I said he was the one that prompted me at 10 years old to cure aging. He's been obsessed with it his whole life. I wish the 2008 global financial crisis hadn't hit because maybe we could have saved him. But he was a good friend of Betty White's. Uh, he was a television producer, did a lot of game shows. He was the number one daytime television producer for seven years with a game show called You Don't Say. I think that was back in the 70s. But, you know, You Don't Say, By the Numbers, Liars Club, It Takes Two, Celebrity Sweet Sticks. I could go on and on. He had so many game shows. But Betty White was a frequent guest star on his game shows. And she would be visiting our homes. We had several homes at the time. And she'd be visiting there all the time. So she became a good friend of the family. So I think when the day comes when we do have something, I 
I think I can find my way to get to her and suggest that she try this. I'm sure there's some folks that are listening to this broadcast that would love to speak with you. Are you open for contact by our audience in some degree? Yeah, absolutely. How do our listeners reach you? Email's best. I know I already get hundreds of emails, and it's hard to keep up with them all. So if somebody doesn't hear from me, don't be upset. My email address is bandrews.com. So B-A-N-D-R-E-W-S at Sierra Sci, that's S-I-E-R-R-A-S-C-I dot com. I answer questions all the time. I want to get the whole world to know, but they can also learn stuff by reading my new book. The name of the book is called Curing Aging, and it's available on Amazon.com. Just search my name and Curing Aging, and you'll find it without any trouble at all. And it actually just became a bestseller in South Korea. For some reason, people in South Korea are a lot more interested in anti-aging than the United States. You can go around South Korea, and you can see my picture on billboards, because they're so excited about what I'm offering in the near future. One thing that I really like about my field is there's a lot of people working on anti-aging. We all support each other. And you know, it's amazing because if I was a cancer researcher and very competitive with all the other cancer researchers, then suddenly I got cancer, I wouldn't be upset at all if somebody else found the cure for cancer. Okay, well, we all are suffering from aging. I wouldn't mind at all if Aubrey Gray found the cure for aging as long as I could get it as fast as possible. I like that about our industry. And, and you know what? It's, it's like we're all obsessed. There's, I would say, 20 people I could list right now that really passionate about curing aging. And the world needs to help us help us all. That's something that I would really like to see happen. And it's not happening yet because aging just isn't recognized as a disease yet. And it's not recognized as people don't realize that it's something you can do something about. So this is a group effort, in your opinion. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Bill Andrews, it's been a great pleasure catching up with you after five years. I wish you great success. I look forward to joining you again soon on this program to discuss any updates that we may have. And uh, by gosh, let's find that money somehow. Thanks for joining us today in the program. I enjoyed it tremendously. Thanks. I've been speaking with Dr. William H. Andrews, President and CEO of Sierra Sciences. Questions, comments, your thoughts? Email me at martinreports at gmail.com. That's martinreports with an S at gmail.com. Listen to this segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes. Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Join me for a conversation with Dr. Brand Thompson, CEO and President of Oncolytics Biotech Incorporated, trading as ONCY on the OTCQX and ONC on the TSX. Oncolytics Biotech is a biotechnology company focused on the development of oncolytic viruses as potential therapeutics for use in a broad range of cancers. The company is conducting clinical studies using Reolice and its proprietary formulation of the human Reovirus and some of the most prevalent forms of the disease, including lung, colorectal, and pancreatic cancers. How does one who is diagnosed with cancer work through the shock of the discovery? It's a bit of a revelation when you get a phone call from a doctor to say, you've got something here and we've got to take care of it. In my case, with my general practitioner with a mole that was not a mole, she took a biopsy and I just kind of forgot about it. And the next morning I got a phone call. Oh, hi, Brad. I'm operating on you on Monday. This was on a Friday. And I'm like, what? It was a bit of a shock, I have to say. You know, when one minute life is fine and the next minute life 
is kind of tenuous. I have a, a bit of an advantage because this is the business I'm in, so I was able to kind of go through and evaluate the option, which I would encourage people to do, especially in, in some cancers. The field is moving so quickly, it's unreasonable and candidly a little unfair to expect a practitioner in the area to spend the 10 minutes a day. They're not helping patients out, keeping up on the newest therapies. I had the surgery and all the follow-ups and those sorts of things, but it's something that you have to be on guard with for the rest of your life. I mean, I had, I had melanoma. This sort of thing that when you hear that M word, you know that for the rest of your life, you're going to have to be watching because you're never safe. You're never cured. And it changes everything. It changed how I approached going outside and it changed the you know, diet. It changed habits. My family, of course, it changed their perspective on me. You sort of look around at Brad in this case and think he's kind of eternal and all of a sudden the next day he's not. It's a big change in your outlook and a big change in your perspective. But it's certainly having that personal experience and then I had a couple of other close family members die within months of that happening of cancer. It really focuses you on what's, I think, important, you know, the business side of my life, which is developing a drug for cancer. Let's talk about your proprietary technology, Reolysin, which is essentially a real virus designed to attack cancerous tumors like a virus would, leaving the surrounding cells intact. Well, the real virus is a very common virus found in the environment. If you're outside and it's raining and you're splashing water on your legs, you're splashing real virus on your leg. And that is absolutely true. It's found almost everywhere in the environment. It's because it's a virus that affects mammals. So dog can get it and pass it on to a squirrel who can get it and then pass it on to a cat who can then pass it on to you. It's a virus that infects people but doesn't cause a disease. The reason we're interested in it is a cancer therapy is that, you know, in the literature, in the scientific literature, since the 1800s, every few years, somebody would note that a patient was dying of cancer and would come down with a mild flu-like illness, mysteriously basically leap out of bed, and they'd be fine. As a result of that, there's a number of viruses that are under development for cancer research. Now, the real virus is different than the rest of them. Every one of them is unique. Because it's so commonly found in the environment, we just had a feeling that it would be safe. And it has a very special set of unique properties and a twofold way of actually working. The first way is if you have the right genetic profile. There's certain genetic defects that lead to cancer. And if you have the right genetic profile, then the virus, when it enters into a cancer cell, will replicate and kill that cell in two or three days. Real virus all by itself without the immune system or anything else is effective at combating tumor growth. And we've shown in multiple clinical studies now that the virus is actually reducing tumor burden in patients. And that by itself has a lot of value. We've been kind of looking for years about differential effects and overall survival, which is the other thing that people are interested in, of course, in, in cancer therapy. What we think is happening with the real virus is that the virus, any lifespan benefits you may accrue on that, comes from it interacting with the immune system. It actually increases the immune response against tumors by replicating in tumors. And so the body looks at it and goes, that's a virus infection. It's in a specific tissue, and I'm going to attack that virus infection wherever it is. And in this case, it's in a tumor. And so you amount effectively like the same kind of defense you'd have against an infectious disease, a bacterial infection, or if you have a parasite, I mean, you get the same, all the same kind of immune responses. And it's targeted against where the virus is, which in this case is in a tumor. So real virus helps the immune system by basically visualizing the tumor. It's like I'm here and the immune system attacks it. And it looks like it's doing that. The second thing it does is it actually upregulates these things called agents, PD-1, PD-L1 is what people will may have heard. And they actually interfere with that immune response. But that allows all these new drugs that are based on that to actually work better. So you have a virus infection that's killing tumor directly that causes the immune system to do something directly. But it also works with these new classes of drugs that people are working at to focus right on the thing that needs to count, which is helping the immune system do its job.
I've been speaking with Dr. Brad Thompson, CEO and President of Oncolytics Biotech Incorporated, trading as ONCY on the OTCQX and ONC on the TSX. Listen to the segment again on our website or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes. Remember, all of the companies you're hearing about today have paid us for the opportunity to be reviewed by you on this program. Do your own research before investing in anything mentioned here. Start by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for an interview with Ken Eford of Noblis Health Corporation, trading on the New York Stock Exchange's HLTH and on the Toronto Stock Exchange's NHC. Noblis owns and manages ambulatory and acute healthcare facilities to deliver healthcare services. Their focus is improving access to care and patient outcomes by providing minimally invasive procedures that can be performed in low-cost outpatient settings. They utilize innovative direct-to-patient marketing and proprietary technologies to drive patient engagement and education. Noblis owns and manages seven surgical facilities in Dallas, Houston, and Scottsdale, and has contractual partnerships with six other facilities in Arizona, Oregon, Michigan, Minnesota, Tennessee, and New Jersey. Ken Eford oversees business development for Nobilis. Ken, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. How would you describe your position at Nobilis? Really, just overseeing business development. My duties range from everything from my legacy of operations. I was previously the COO to currently helping with M&A and looking at launching new verticals like in the ancillary space. Now, how has business development with regard to Nobilis increased revenue during the past 12 months for the company? In multiple ways. We've seen our growth within the company be one of organic and through acquisition and through de novo. Organically, we've grown as we've brought new facilities online, as well as reinvigorate past relationship with physicians, as well as through acquisitions like we received in Q4 of 2014 with APHIS and, and enhancing a very robust marketing program, as well as de novo with the launch of our intraoperative monitoring and first assist programs all of which have made a significant impact to revenue as well as earning. Of course, this is very unique. But what else is unique about Noblis as compared to other healthcare-related companies of this kind in the space? So those would be somewhat comps in our space or our facility owners and operators. And, and that we are to our core, and that's what we started out as. And we are very good operators, but where we're different from our competitors, one is easy to identify is our marketing abilities. We have a class marketing division that has allowed us to go out and directly source patients and surgeries for our facilities and our network of physicians. That's a key differentiator. Also, our ability to have innovative products within the market, whether they be a surgical technique, a physician service, or a complement of services like we've done with the ancillary services. The beauty of bringing those verticals online is it allows us to enhance the patient and provider experience while increasing our continuity of care. So we make sure that the surgeon has the anesthesia provider that they know and love, the IOM tech that they're comfortable with, the first assist that knows their movements and their, and their behaviors. So we have increased clinical outcomes, as well as clinical operations or efficiencies. We have shorter cut-to-close times because of these enhancements. Typically, surgeons aren't schooled in marketing. This is something that they are not taught. So really, when they align themselves with Nobilis, they can, in many instances, 
dramatically increase their own revenue stream. Yes, sir, that's absolutely correct, and that's to our benefit. Direct-to-consumer marketing in the medical space historically, or years ago, was considered taboo. It was predominantly around the dental and plastic spaces, but as we have found that patients are playing a more active role in their medical decision-making, they are out there seeking information, and with the Internet, they have plenty of it to digest. But what that provides us is real opportunity to interject our messaging and direct them into our system. Now when we have surgeons who try to do marketing, they try to do online and have their website, often they fail because they lack the proper infrastructure to properly execute on any of those media dollars spent. So we have a desire by our physician partners or or those within our facilities, but yet they have an inability to execute properly. So that when we bring to them our marketing products, it's with open arms that's received. I know you're quite successful with your marketing strategies in attracting these types of professionals. Are professionals also reaching out to you due to your across-the-board marketing efforts, both with surgical staffing and patients? Yes, sir, that's correct. That was one of the positive side effects, if you will, of us running Direct Response TV and online is we were getting out there in front of the surgeons in our market, and the associated clout that came with it was not only surprising but impressive. And to where now we're no longer having to knock on doors. We still do identify key surgeons and seek them out, but we're also having surgeons contact us wanting to be a part of our marketing system. So it would be safe to say that in the regions that you serve, you're setting a standard for consumer or patient care, if you will. Absolutely, yes, sir. Give us an overview of your management team, if you don't mind. Our management team comes from several different breeds and ideologies, if you will, and pedigrees. We have a great depth of knowledge from the legal front, the accounting and finance, the marketing, and clinical operation. And what that has allowed us to do is have such great depth on our bench that we can execute and grow as we have experienced over the years and continue to grow. And as we continue to enhance our operations and grow within different verticals, we'll allow our management team to continue to be more specialized as we bring on additional talent. Ken, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks so much for joining me on the program. Thank you, sir. I've been chatting with Ken Eford. Ken oversees business development for Noblest Health Corporation, trading on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol HLTH and on the Toronto Stock Exchange's NHC. Noblest is a paid sponsor of the Ellis Martin Report. Find a link to the Noblest Health website on the homepage of ours, ellismartinreport.com. I recently ventured out to the country of Greece for a couple of weeks. Before I went, I'd hear, aren't you worried about the bad economic conditions over there? Mayhem in the streets? I guess I wasn't because I went. Others would say to me, you're going to love it. The food is incredible. I recall seeing those sun-swept white habitats overlooking the sea with blue skies, etc. Just a gorgeous sight. It can't possibly look as good as the photos. And exactly how good can their food be over there in Greece. Isn't it pretty darn good in Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, Northern California? How good can food actually be? I've had plenty of Greek food in the U.S. my entire life. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. Every morsel of food, cooked or uncooked, is delicious. And unless you've been to Greece or maybe Italy, you as an American have never eaten real food. Bread isn't fresh unless it's made on the spot, on site, at a restaurant, or a home. Fresh vegetables? When are vegetables delicious without being prepared somehow, a special way? Well, they are delicious and freshly picked in Greece. Flavor that you've never tasted before. Have you had an unsettled stomach frequently at home? Low energy? Probably yes. A sugar headache from chocolate or ice cream or cake? Probably yes. 
you'll have little to none of that in Greece. The locals there know that their food is good, but I'm sure they just take it for granted as much as we accept the cardboard that we eat here. Our normal food is awful. And their normal food is incredible. And it's not a big deal either way. We know no better or worse in either country until we leave it. When a Greek comes to the U.S., they notice how terrible food is here. And when we go there, we notice how great everything is. It becomes a topic of conversation. Americans bring it up like I'm bringing it up now. Even the Greek restaurants in the United States are not delicious compared to the meekest sidewalk cafe in Athens, if there is such a thing as meek. Handmade yogurt on the spot, a normal thing. Pastry shops open past midnight in many places. That is normal. You're literally walking down a street in downtown Athens and there's a beautiful, glorious, even large pastry shop with fresh pastries that you can eat late at night. Food is celebrated as not just a necessity, but as a holy event and a hedonistic event simultaneously in Greece. And you eat it slowly. I'm a fast eater, usually looking just to get it over with and move on to the next life activity. And it was impossible for me to eat my food quickly in Greece. You want to savor every piece of it. You want to linger over it. It brings a bigger smile to your face. Your body thanked you over and over again. I was having lunch with a Greek-Australian expatriate who had lived in the U.S. for several years, Los Angeles to be specific. I remarked on how delicious simply everything was, and I wondered why out loud. His response? No hormone injections. Very limited use of pesticides, most being illegal, by the way. The soil is not treated, and it is healthy. Evidently, we have generations and generations of poor soil here in the U.S. Produce and big farm management in the United States that is adversely affecting our food supply and therefore our health. And perhaps the Monsanto haters have just cause. I've never been one to call out anyone, let alone Big Farm, or join a boycott, or even use this venue to espouse my dissatisfaction with a particular industry. I'm not sure that I'm going to start now, but the gentleman that I had lunch with in Athens is extremely well-known highly educated, and very successful in business globally. The facts he espoused during this conversation were undeniable, including the mall culture created in Los Angeles that we are all drawn to. And in the area that I live, there are at least four large malls within a five-mile radius, not to mention scores and scores of strip malls, making up the landscape of what was once a gorgeous Los Angeles basin not far from the Santa Monica Bay. So what? So what? This mall culture extends eastward all the way to the Atlantic, and that's our country, a country of malls and strip malls and buy my stuff now. We work all week long and flock to the malls on the weekend or after work to buy more stuff, missing many opportunities in this perfect weather client we have here on the West Coast to sit down and have a beverage and a bite with a friend or a stranger, taking delight in every sip and morsel and the environment around us. No wonder there are so many empty souls in this city. And this is supposed to be a health-conscious area. Many of us on the West Coast, especially in California, are so-called fit. It's a thing. The rest of the country, but not all of it, is, um, excuse me, fat. Yes, Americans are indeed fat. Greece? Not so much. The concept of health food is ridiculous simply because everything is healthy there. A business such as Whole Foods would be considered a joke, just like ketchup is. I suspected that when I would return to L.A. from Greece, most food would taste like cardboard to me, and I was not wrong. My traditional haunts and the food offered me made me ill, giving me headaches and an unsettled stomach upon my return, a not infrequent occurrence before I left the country always not feeling up to par. You could taste the ensuing displeasure in advance. What can I do about it? Import my own soil and grow my own food? Yeah, that's going to happen. I can move to Greece, perhaps. You know, 
I would do it just for the food, just for that alone. Oh, I'm reluctant to mention that I've been to Greece to people that I've run into lately here in the U.S. because I then feel impassioned to explain all of this to them all the time and every time. And the folks also ask me about the economic crisis and the refugee crisis and how that may or may not affect their own potential travel plans to the country. Well, things are cheap, very cheap in Greece. On one occasion, a delicious dinner for seven for the equivalent of 50 U.S. dollars and another dinner for seven or eight for near 80 dollars at very fine restaurants with a staff that is thrilled to get a 10% tip with incredible service each time. And keep in mind, it's not incredible to the local patrons. They expect it. It's part of the culture. It's incredible to us because we aren't used to getting either the quality of food or the service. And in most places, you get a free treat, whether it be a dessert, a pastry, a side dish, a beverage, whether you want it or not. It just comes. I realize that I've left a great deal out, and I've not been specific highlighting restaurants, locales, or tourist attractions. All of the ancient Greek and early Christian sites were unexpectedly moving, and the art associated with it as well. And the music, well, just know this. Whatever your friends and family who've been to Greece say about Greece is true. And you can't know the depth of this truth unless you go and experience it for yourself. Try it. Greece, the birthplace of culture, and philosophy and love we could all take a lesson you've just heard opinion commentary and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment they paid us for the privilege invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website ellismartinreport.com thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.